you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Over centered. <laughs> can you hear me? Well, I can hear you. Okay. Let me also get on night shift on my display because that way i tend to be a little bit less here let's see how that works see? oh is that beautiful wow there sure is a lot of sunlight coming <laughs> damn that sunlight my, <laughs> what's it doing in window? ohio exactly i've got some uh, weird little colors i can do on mine i've never played with it much but i know it's got intensity and oh there a little more warmth so before we start, I want to hear all about your trip because it sounds like you had an adventure. T- take a look at my shirt. I got this at Christmas. Ah, there we go. The Anigo Montoya. But the little design is the text of the book. It's William Goldman's book. Of the Princess Bride. To make the design. Exactly. I thought that was a pretty nerdy thing. <laughs> and actually, so we should already start recording because we can talk about that. You got it. Okay, the I got a similar one for Colleen from the Little House on the Prairies books, where it's got the log cabin and stuff yes. like that. But yes, in whatever six point type, it shows the entire first chapter. I don't think it's the entire book. No, I don't think it's the entire book. book. Yeah, how much you can fit on a shirt? But and she was very tickled by that. You know what I mean? I just that's another one of those things that as technology marches on, as someone gets a bright idea and says, "I wonder if we could do that." Because my fear would be, yeah. if they don't find the good quality shirt and the good quality ink, that it will last a couple washings, it would be terrible That'd to start to have dropout of the story where whole swashes are, I mean, particle, I want it to last a while so that you really can tell what it is. I have rock concert t-shirts that after maybe like three washes, because where did I buy them? Back in the 70s, you bought them right. in the parking lots as you were right, going into right. the concert. <laughs> And some guys really made beautiful, like, paint on T-shirt paint where it lasted. I had a Led Zeppelin shirt with the Swan Song logo that lasted forever, whereas I had a Tarkis shirt from ELP that looked bad within one wear. It was, like, already flaking off. And so back then it was five or seven bucks, not 30. But still, if the concert cost you $7, it was like, wow. I got rooked on this t-shirt. The t-shirt cost as much as the show. Right. These guys were just out there to fleece you. Yeah. yeah, one of my biggest regrets, not really a big regret, but I had this really nice uh, Def Leppard Hysteria album sweatshirt. Comfortable. just okay. And I hadn't worn it for a while just because I didn't want to wear it out. And my son kept eyeing it and eyeing it. So I gave it to him for Christmas one year. And I'm like, Man, I love you, but man, I don't know if I love you, Hysteria sweatshirt enough. <laughs> Actually, I, I kept growing all through college, and I used to wear like a medium t-shirt. I liked it tight. So I, when you're a, a young man bound for adventure, you're thinking, oh, I should show off what I think are muscles. <laughs> but as I got just a little bit too big, where they were uncomfortable and when they looked silly, I gave them away to my 
I introduced my younger brother's friends to all kinds of good, especially progressive rock groups. Their first Yes, King Crimson, ELP, whatever else it might be. And because I had this wonderful backlog of t-shirts, I actually had one of those things where, okay, boys, come on over. We're going to raid the closet. And they all went to good homes. They really appreciated. And especially because even back then I was seeing kind of obscure bands. So when you don't just have what everyone has, the Beatles and the Stones and stuff like that. But when you've got, I don't know, I never had Gentle Giant, but I had Kansas from early on. And so it's cool. I hardly ever do that. I used to never, I never went to a concert in somebody else's t-shirt. I didn't show up at an ELO t-shirt with a Kansas shirt on, but it was also, I sometimes wore one that I knew was like an artifact. I had an electric light orchestra one that was before the most known ELO logo is from New World Record, where it looks kind of like a jukebox, jukebox type of that. And I had them back to face the music and to Olay ELO and whatever else. And so it was cool to be like, especially when you go on prog rock cruises that I have done a couple of times now, you'll see people where they had, that shirt is 50 years old. That's 72. You know what I mean? You really saw the Moody Blues early, like when yeah. they had just become symphonic and orchestral rock instead of Go Now and the softer version. Same with Manfred Mann or something like that. I don't know. I just, that's, I now have also, maybe you've seen this, they have stores now that sell vintage yeah. uh, prints. Maybe it's the old t-shirts, but maybe it's just the design, but not so much even concerts. All kinds of old team jerseys and stuff like that from the older versions of yeah. the Cavaliers, the older versions of the Browns, that kind of stuff. Because they've changed that logo and that font and whatever else over the course of the years. And I don't know, that's a, a silly way to be fun and nostalgic, but if it really is, Wow, you really had that shirt for 50 years? It's kind of amazing. Well, you get the opposite with some of the classic band shirts. You'll get this 20-year-old kid wearing Led Zeppelin. or something. Right. Do you like them? Oh, I don't know. I don't listen to them. It's just, I'm cool because I got the shirt. And it's like, are you kidding me? That's, that's false. Exactly. <laughs> this reminds me, I do have a trivia for you this week. Okay. You know the band War. From back in the early 70s. Yes. Uh, South Bronx-ish, yeah, just almost Cuban rhythm, whatever, that salsa, okay. whatever, rockish yeah. band. Do you know what their original name was? Wow. I mean, it's something like War, What Is It Good For? Like to borrow from <laughs> Motown or something like yeah. that? Yeah, so. hint, the original name also tells you who helped create the group. That didn't help you, but it's... Sorry, I didn't catch the last part of that. The original name also included... Oh, I'm sorry. The original name helped tell you who helped create the group. So, like, who was... So, this would have been 60s. So, like, an Andy Warhol thing? A... I'm trying to think who would have been, like, Velvet Underground, Lou Reed? Who was who was forming groups back then? War and Peace. It was uh, Leo Tolstoy who created them. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> They're Russian. Oh, I, no, not a fan. Eric Burden and the war. Because the animals had broken up. Had the animals. Yeah. Oh, my. That's cool. I think I might have mentioned this before. I love that. I love knowing a little bit about rock history where, as you see people's progression through various different groups, it's not only Todd Rundgren. You have to know that he was in the NAS before he was a solo artist. Right. And then he had his own group, Utopia, for a while. And actually made a point of not 
calling it Todd Rundgren's Utopia. He kind of wanted to be. I'm really in a band now. David Bowie did that with Tin Machine and various things like that. Tin Machine. Um, have you ever seen the Rock Family Trees that Pete Frame has done? No. They used to appear in Rolling Stone magazine, and there was an entire, a big album book. I don't know. Let's see. Probably a foot by two feet. But it really was like, here's from whence came the various different people that became Deep Purple. And then as they had side projects, you got a chance to keep track wow. of, okay, so who was the original Deep Purple guitarist? Like Richie Blackmore. Then he went off into Rainbow. And then they replaced the vocalist. And Ronnie James Dio came in. And they had, and besides Tommy Bolin. And just to see, I loved knowing that these guys actually had interesting careers. Some of them, like, I don't know, Bad Company was pretty much the same guys for almost all of its time. So the tree is not that interesting. But they were all like, from big groups. Bad Company was a lot of big guys. And that's right. So I, when you look at like, King Crimson, I'm pretty sure it doesn't fit on a page anymore. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that when you see uh, Robert Fripp is the through line, but there's all kinds of people. And it isn't just, oh, after King Crimson, they did a solo album and then faded away. No, Greg Lake went on into Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Yeah. And Bill Bruford went on to be in Genesis. And yes, little group, so that kind of thing. So it's <laughs> it's very cool. I used to, we've talked about this a little bit before, one of the unjoys of CDs and now streaming is that the experience of getting the album, and it really had oh, a picture and beautiful artwork. And if you left it out while it was playing, it really was something to look at. Yeah. But also a lot of groups did. Um, the back cover with who's in the band, or they'd have liner notes on the sleeve inside or even a separate insert. And I just love knowing who were all the people in the band and being able to then track with, I don't know, Phil Collins played in a lot of things besides Genesis. So I discovered a group called Wilding Bonus and all that kind of stuff just was, I used to go to Rolling Stone Records. It really is the name of a place in Chicago. There were two outlets, one in downtown Chicago and one in Norwich, if I remember right. And I couldn't get out of there in less than two, three hours because I would not only just, I'd go through, first you go to the bargain bins and you page through and see what you want. And it wasn't only things that were obscure or that were like on the end of their life or something like that. They had a really cool policy of every day they'd go to the regular bins and pick out a hundred albums or something like that and just slap a $3.99 instead of a $7.99 price tag on it. And if you were the first one to the bins, you could discover all kinds of cool current stuff or big hit type stuff and then of course while i'm reading it you're looking at the album going this looks interesting and i think i told you what's the prog rock test you flip it over and you say oh this doesn't have seven cuts aside this has three <laughs> minutes long i'm already interested because it's a more of an epic i discovered marillion that way the very interesting album cover called right. script for a jester's tear and you flip it over and it's got three cuts on each of the two sides and just the logo was really cool, like nightmare jester on the cover and all. Just it was everything about it was intriguing. I had never heard a second of their music and it was like, I don't know, for three ninety nine, I'm going to give this a try. And that might be the luckiest who knows who the heck this is pick that I ever made because I've loved them now for yeah. 40 years at least. That must have been, I think they were maybe late 70s is when I discovered it was after I got out of Maybe early yeah. 80s. I'm trying to think when their first album might have been. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I think so. Somewhere at least 40 years and probably going on 45. Yeah. So at that pilgrimage that I used to make, I'd go to the local record stores and keep track of what was coming out and search for prices and stuff like that. But when I got 
hey, I got a bonus from work. What do I want to do? I'm going to Rolling Stone Records and I'm walking out with a terrible number of back when it was LP. Yeah. And I don't know if you have you haunted big stores like this. San Francisco had two great CD stores, one called Amoeba Records and one called Rasputin's. And where other people had like a comedy section, they had like a comedy aisle and they had imports and they had prog rock and all that kind of stuff. And a tr whole tribute album section. Usually just kind of, you don't know where to put those. You sneak them in with the band that they're tributing to. But I regularly walked out you know, a CD box. If you see how they're shipped, there's like 30 in the box. And I regularly had to be like, can I have a box while I collect these? And it's, you're really going to, really i'm going to need the box i swear <laughs> and i just almost always i'd go there and they'd say you're buying hundreds of dollars of these things would you like a bag it's sure you mean do i pay for it oh no we'll be happy to have you advertise for us i remember right the amoeba records it was in haight ashbury in san francisco and i think it was like a former bowling alley so you can imagine the size of this place and uh, same thing. I would like, uh, while I'm in San Francisco for Macworld, so all the geekery ties together, like I, I had, when I first went to Macworlds, it was, of course, let's go to Chinatown. Let's go see the Golden Cape Bridge. Let's go to the various different, to ride the cable cars. And then when you start to be there for like an entire week and you've already exhausted a bunch of stuff, and I would go to a couple tech parties and have fun with that. I remember seeing at the Exploratorium, which was one of the first cool hands-on kids museums that I'd ever been to, where you could like, Wow, this is the tornado machine. You turn this handle and it makes the thing. And uh, you know how cool most is people, this? Most people, it blows their hair around. I wish I could experience that. <laughs> exactly. I was too streamlined. I was yeah. immune to the effects of the tornado machine. Back then, I wasn't. Back then, I was actually quite the surfer dude. I had a full head of hair. I, I had a full head of hair. Well, anyway. I, I'm, I'm impressed you still remember those days. <laughs> there we go. So, I know, I, as usual, I just, oh my God, I went off. But have you had those experiences yes. know that you hit used bookstores? And once in a while, it's not just a used bookstore. It's a treasure trove. Yeah. Any ones that you can remember that were oh, particularly that, oh wonderful Oh, my God. Times? Yes, two of them. I'll talk about over in Pennsylvania by some of my friends in Harrisburg. There's the Cupboard, Bo Cupboard Maker Bookstore. It's also a cat shelter rescue. And so you have ninja cats. They put boards up. So you have ninja cats walking these planks above you. And they're like, That's hilarious. You know, be aware of attack ninja cats. Because sometimes the cats will just jump down. You're there and all of a sudden plop. Jeez, I'm in. Especially when you're not expecting it. It's yeah, like, it's... things are falling from the ceiling? But this is just one of those, you walk in, you're like, I am overwhelmed type of bookstores. Yeah. And they had new stuff too. So you could pick up some of the best new stuff. But they definitely had old stuff and things that, oh my God, I've not seen this anywhere else. I've, exactly. is, I've been looking for this. They had a destroyer number one the last time I was there. So fantastic. Because that's how I got my copy, you know. Excellent. And there was that's, another I've store. been in stores just to interrupt real quick. I've been in stores where like you find the treasure trove of what once, if you had found all these destroyers, all these dock savages, I would have been like shivering with joy. But now <laughs> I have them all. And so it's kind of like right. I, I look around, hey, everybody. This is a great series. You should buy these 20. You will never see them. <laughs> but don't you walk in and you look at it and go, I know I own these, but I feel like buying them again. I just, I, I want to reach out and get them. It's just that. <laughs> exactly. Because they were a grail for so long. I searched everywhere for old Mad Magazine paperbacks, old Doc Savages, 
But some things, the, the James Bond series was easy to complete because at the time I started buying it, there were only 13, where there were already 70 Doc Savages, and they had been already been published. And I'm talking about the Bantam paperbacks, not the original pulps, because those are really hard to find. But over the course of time, the old Lancer paperbacks that had the great Conan and the great Frazetta covers, and I don't know, when I was young, I really didn't know about how this worked. When you see a series that's, oh, these are different covers, at one point, they had the originals, and then they had a reissue, and they standardized so they'd all look nice on the bookshelf. But And sometimes I'd like those covers better, but there was also like, man, if you can find a James Bond before they did the normalization of how the covers look and everything <laughs> like that, yeah. it was really, this is, there's history here. People that read this, they read it in the 50s going into the 60s when this really was like, I don't know, state-of-the-art spycraft. And there really was a Cold War going on and stuff like that. And it helps you get that sense of place and the smell. When you walk in one of these places and it has that old paper pulp, not in a sour way, but in that, man, I there's a whole kinds of things that trigger me in all yeah. the good ways of yeah. walking into a good used bookstore. So, yeah, so is that still around the cupboard maker? Is that oh still yeah, cupboard maker books. If you go over towards Harrisburg, look it up. It's definitely recommended okay. to go. It's a fun little place. There was one place, and I doubt it's still around in Toledo. Me and the kids, we were just like, okay, we've done all the stuff we wanted to do today. Let's find a bookstore. So we looked, and there's one. Okay, it's a comic book, and it was kind of what GameStop has become, but before GameStop. Oh, let's check it out. So we go, we show up. It's in this kind of rundown mallish place, the strip mall. It right. looks like a little store. Okay, we'll check it out. We go in and it was one of those stores that we'll always remember. So it was just stuff everywhere and hardly any organization. <laughs> things piled. It's like you're looking behind things and moving things and things are leaning over you and there's a cat walking yeah. around. But it was run by this older couple. They were like 70, 75 years old. And I imagine they, they were like some Chinese wisdom gods that were going to disappear if we turned our back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they like jumped up. They're like, oh, my God, somebody visited our store. We're so happy to see you. And I felt bad because I don't think they got a lot of traffic. There was dust on the stuff. They were older and thing, it was cluttered. And then, yeah, so yeah. me and the kids looked around. We talked to them for like an hour and a half. I bought a couple things just because I have to. I can't walk out of here without buying something from them. But I, it was actually things I wanted and was interested in getting. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, just a pity buy. It was a couple really good things. But Colin will bring that up every now and then. You remember that store in Toledo? Yeah. That was a, I like there's a cool one down in Columbus called the Book Loft, if I remember. Yes, right. the German. One yes. of those places that they started with a store and then they kept on like buying the next stores over or renting them or whatever. But now it's you really do wander your way through it. It's not one big expanse and you can walk in and see everything. You have to almost they should put the IKEA arrows in so that you'll know. I tend to do things I don't want to miss anything. So I like do the maze thing where I put my left hand on the wall and I make my way around and then I try Until to you reach the minotaur. Yeah, that's there's things in the middle that if I only go to the outside, I'm not going to see everything. And sometimes it's two levels. So it's, okay, I think this is the staircase that I saw before, but what if there's more than one staircase? And I make, I make an adventure out of it. Yeah. And I love when it is like those kinds of patrons that that they 
they've been doing it for a long time. So I've, I have walked in where they're like, Hey, happy to see you. We get a conversation going. He goes, what are you looking for? And so it's, I have some pretty obscure things that if you have them, I'm going to do the dance of joy. I've been looking forever. I swear this exists. I really like a comic strip called Rick O'Shea. It was by Stan Lind, a Western comic strip, and all the characters had fun names like Rick O'Shea and Hip Shot Percussion and Jubilee and things like that, Miss Kitty, whatever else it might be. There was a huge album, again, an album book called The Celebrated Cases of Rick O'Shea that I checked out from the Elk Grove Village Public Library once and then I, I returned it and I never saw it again. I have looked for that in every single store. A lot of times stores make it easy for you. They have a big place where all the big books go because you can't file your atlases and your coffee table books. They all, there's a, not all the same kind of book. There's a miscellany of things there, but if you check it, it's not there. It's like curses, still not. And I have looked for it once, of course, Amazon and other, a Libris and all those things became available. I have looked for it by name. I've looked for it. I don't even know. I'm not sure what to make of this. I don't even see it like in a publication record anywhere. Wow. Not at Stan Line's website. There's no references. I bought pretty much everything else he's done, not only the comic strip collections, but he wrote a series of like Western detective books almost with Marshall, let's see, something Crenshaw, maybe Marshall Jubal Crenshaw or something like that. And I'm a completist <laughs> about Stan Line. Then they had a terrible fire. And he lost all kinds of stuff that he had was selling through the mail, he and his wife and stuff like that. And now he's dead. So my chances of ever finding this are less and less. But you know what? If that turns out ever that I find that, it'll be like, and again, I don't mean to monopolize. I look for a Bill Cosby album that I had seen once called 815-1215. I might have talked about this. Yeah. Saw it in Kresge's in Chicago, then never saw it again until... Stu and I went to New York for spring break, didn't go down to the beach, went to wander around Manhattan, and we found ourselves in a record store, and I, it's a very distinctive cover. It's just 815-1215 in big black letters on white, and I like pick it out, and I'm like looking around saying, do you guys know what you have? This is, and it wasn't in the sealed in plastic $30 or whatever. It was just another piece of stock to them, and I like, I... Stu and I had gone there. We'd taken the train. So I'm thinking, okay, I know I can get this home in my suitcase, but I got to make sure I pad it because now what will happen is yes. I have this thing and then someone's going to kick my suitcase under the train and it's going to get run over. It's like, ah! So do you have, maybe again, not only bookstores, do you have artifacts that you've looked like for, for something like that and then finally scratch the itch? Because the, the, my, my examples are obscure and far uh, between. I <laughs> I do, but it's more like a missing book, a missing comic in series, that type of thing. But I was going to mention, you mentioned the book loft down in Columbus. Columbus. John Scalzi is going to be there coming up sometime in the next couple months. And so I go hear him speak and read and stuff like that. He's a very interesting author. Okay. I know him from Red Shirts. Uh, so I was like, huh, that might be worth a two-hour drive down just to say hi <laughs> yeah and there's other things it's funny whenever i do that kind of thing i also as long as i'm in town i don't want to make it that it was just the obsession over meeting john scalzi but then you find out columbus has cosi a great yeah. museum that i saw the marvel exhibit at it has great pizza around the 
Ohio University campus. And whatever, it's like Colleen and I have had great success where we just needed, like now in the February doldrums, we need to get out of the house. Right. And I can't tell you how many times we've gone to a little town and said, this is the nicest cookware store I've ever been in. I, I don't, I didn't know they made an apple slicer that works just like this. And so right. we've had incredible success of just, as long as we're here, what else is there? A nice hike a nice pet store, a nice, whatever, right, a, a nice right. Amish buffet or something like that. But you mentioned about finding things and stuff. Let me tell you, in the regards of the joy of discovery and the search, the worst thing in the world is to have a son that works at a collector comic book and toy store <laughs> because <laughs> he's, Hey, look what we got. And I'm like, Oh my God. So Micronauts, we live next to an old auction barn used to run when I was younger and I went over there once with my dad and he had gotten a bunch of stuff and I was looking and there was a box of toys and I started looking through it. It turns out it was all one toy, just many, but it was like seven of them just all put unput together. And it was the Micronauts figures. It was a battleship and it split off into seven different little vehicles. And I put them all together and it was remote controlled. And he's like, that's really cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he says, well, here, take one as payment for putting them all together great. So I remember that toy and I walk into the comic book store a while back and there's one of them sitting there and I'm like, Oh my God, that was one of my best toys ever. Wonderful. And then they move stores and move things. Hey, where'd the uh, ship go? Oh, we don't know. Oh, oh man. <laughs> they, they, they don't know just how much that's a valuable or at least a, like a uncommon item that they yes. should have held onto that. You know? so, yeah. So, that kind of, Pat Broderick had great artwork in there. He's one of those guys that hardly ever gets mentioned in the pantheon of great artists, and yet his work was very distinct. And I remember he did Micronauts, he did some Captain Marvel that nothing else looks like it. It's really good. I like the comedy, but very detailed and action packed and stuff yeah. like that. So hats off to Pat Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a name dropping. Okay. I, what do you want to touch on? Sorry. You're, you've got some out a little bit interesting there, Harry Potter game news. I don't know what's going on today. Maybe, maybe we'll run back to Zoom if this isn't going to work. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Keep trying. All I right. think we both have good net connections and stuff like that. Yeah. As you know, the Potterverse has existed ever since the first book. There's really been incredible fan interest in anything that J.K. Rowling has and all the extensions. It's not only been the, whatever you would call it, the main seven books, but there's always been, there's of course the movies and there's, like short stories released, a lot of fan fiction, that kind of stuff. They finally started to have video games and the Potterverse is that bringing it all together. And the latest one to come out is called like Harry Potter Legacy, if I remember correctly. Hogwarts and, and Legacy. There we go. It Hogwarts is not Legacy, Harry Potter. Right. It's, it's Exactly. It's in the 1800s before the events of the actual right. Harry Potter books. So you get to play with the, how did it come to be? Who were the main wizards back then? Right. How did the houses start? How did how do you and this from, from I went on to learn more about the game and of course then you get sucked in it's, oh I get to find out whether where the sorting hat would have put me I right. get to find out who my now, patronus is and stuff now, like now, that it's pretty cool let me jump in on this because I give J.K. Rowling huge kudos because right from the beginning she encouraged things like fan fiction and her Pottermore website had tons of fan and it created this huge community but you got all these corporate 
oh, you wrote fan fiction. We're going to sue you unless you take it down. That's our property. Don't touch it. Here she is. She encouraged it and it didn't destroy them. It made it one of the biggest properties around. There's a lesson. And the other video games they have had were based on the movies more and Lego based on the movies. Uh, So this one is very unique in that it's like an open RPG. It's exploring the world and it, but it's not Harry Potter or even the prequels based. It's before all of that. That's right. That's right. Thank you. You know much more about this than I do. I really have enjoyed the series and the movies, but I didn't participate in Pottermore. And I know it's another one. I really like them, but it hasn't become religion to me. For each generation, they really have, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Harry Potter or whatever, there's just amazing overflow of love. Because I am too omnivorous. I don't have, I have series like I want other people to read because I think that they're good, but I don't have I don't know. I have a Doctor Who scarf, but I don't have my entire wardrobe based right. on <laughs> stuff like that. Right. So having said that, and what's the cool big news? So I got a nephew named Nick, my younger brother's, his and his wife's son, and he worked on that game. That's and awesome. You pull up the credits. You go to, there's all kinds, there's hundreds of people that worked on it, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but he's, if you write in the engineer, like they, Chris, my sister-in-law posted, Hey, now that the game is out, I'm allowed to reveal this. And it says, here's, and there's 10 of them. And right down here, Nick Baltus. Nice. So how cool is that? That's you know awesome. I mean? It's The family has good geekery in it. A lot of my nieces and nephews, we have real, they're all bright. They're all accomplished. They're all, but not to take anything away from anybody else. It's, this is so close to my heart. You know what I mean? I'm such a geek. And you can be a great pilot, but that doesn't necessarily make you a geek. It makes you that you have amazing skill set and nerves of steel and stuff like that. And having said that, I've got someone that's working in art for video games. Now he's working in the tech of video games. It's very cool. That's a big enough industry that people who have loved those growing up and said, I want to do that when I grow up. And then they really have. It's a dream yeah. come true. I thought when I first went to a, a place that had a ton of pinball. I don't know. I, I played lots of pinball and video games at U of I down in Champaign-Urbana. The Union had it, and uh, let's see, Spaceport and Aladdin's Castle, all that kind of stuff. And I really, even from then, thought, it really is someone's job to design these. It really is someone's job to play test these. How do I get that job? Am I going in every day and getting, wow, your hands are really calloused. Do you work in the garage? Nope. Pinball. <laughs> You know what I mean? It would be, yeah. it would have been just such a delight. And I maybe I'm painting the illusion. You know, wow, if you're forced to play pinball, maybe it's not so, as much fun. Okay. The game, before I even knew you knew somebody that helped work on it, which I think is the coolest thing, the game looks really interesting. And I have a, got a friend who's been playing it. And I asked him, and he says, Oh, man, I put 12 hours into it on Saturday. And I'm like, Really? He's yeah, it just kind of sucks you in and you just want to go this next place, the next place. And I don't know what the story is. I don't know any of that, but he said there's always just something new to go look at and check out. So just think of how perfect, like for a long time, the way that they do dungeon crawls and any number of open world games is what you just said. There's a there's the perpetual skill tree that you're always getting better at what you're doing and adding new things. There's the search for items, whether it, and in this case, not so much swords and armor as it is right. wands and broomsticks and stuff like that, or maybe 
cloaks of invisibility or whatever. And it's a it's the Hogwarts castle. How can you not have an unlimited number of magical rooms, right. little partial dimensions and stuff like that, that you can forever be searching? And so I they really have the intermittent reward thing. They've got that down to a nanoscience as how do you keep someone playing forever? How do you keep them like they can't wait to play again? It's in their thoughts. I don't know. People talked about that early on where they were done playing Tetris for the day. And then while they were falling asleep, little blocks were dropping right. in front of their eyes. So your brain gets rewired. Right. You know what I mean? By that very good risk reward thing and everything like that, it craves the right. dopamine. The, the, really, the interesting have. thing about this one is, as far as I know and can tell, it's basically a single player game. It's not an open world multiplayer game, which I found interesting because that's the trend to do big things like this as open line multiplayer. Exactly that. To have a party, to yeah. have a tribe, a clan, et cetera, et cetera. And like you can't take on a chromatic dragon without having 30 people ready to rock instead right. of yourself. What that tells okay, me, so and I've been doing the video games, storytelling talks and workshops and working on building that up this tells me is that they wanted to focus on story, which is what the whole Harry Potter thing is very story focused rather than people getting the, the groups to adventure and fight the mentors and do this. It was a story thing. So I'm even more intrigued by this game now, even though Harry Potter is not my top favorite IP. I was beyond that time. My kids liked it, but yeah, this game looks really good. I am gonna. I haven't bought it yet, and as you might imagine, because it's available on all the consoles and for PC, but not for Mac yet. But because I have my really the my Parallels right. emulator is really high quality. There's very few things that if it runs at all on Windows 10 or 11, it'll it really does emulate everything you might need, video card, everything, everything. And my my M2 Mac is mighty enough that it doesn't get 30% lag because it's doing all that translation. It's actually amazingly so i think if i remember right it was like there's a regular and a deluxe edition and they're like 60 or 70 bucks and that seems like a lot but if you get hundreds of hours of play Absolutely. that's not a lot you know what i mean that's yeah i'm looking forward to trying it and i and that's having said that since you and i have recently talked about the, is it the left for dead series but we haven't, haven't collaborated blood, yes on yet. yes was, we got it Oh, yeah, left for exactly. I was looking forward to also doing that maybe in the Potterverse, but what you just said, that it's a solo adventure, maybe they'll do it like World of Warcraft or various other things, that it starts off being solo, and then they add that yeah. layer of, okay, now you're all in the same world, and that explodes I'll the have to check it out. You know but mean? yeah, we so, do have to jump on Back yeah. for Blood. <laughs> Me and my cousin and another friend, friend that plays Hogwarts, we've gone a couple things, and it is relentless. Even my cousin, who is definitely better than me at console FPS games, he is not like overpowering me as far as how great his stats are at the end of any run. And it is very relentless, but it's very. I've explored it. It's, it seems to be all about one of the first things it says is like, this is not a game where you can like take a sniper's oh, roost. That's my fault. We're going to have a jumpy episode. <laughs> If it turns out that's one of the things that we talk about on Relentless Geekery is, hey, we've been doing this for a couple of years. We started off with Zencaster, went to Zoom. We decided to go back, but it wasn't still right. what we wanted. And it could be that we, we can try Skype. We can try media, whatever the other things are to find that sweet yeah. spot of 
How dependable is it? What format yeah. can you do? Zencaster is really good because it, it records locally, which usually helps alleviate issues. It's a higher quality recording than Zoom for audio and everything. But then you've got the video separate. So when I process it, I can put them side by side or stack them. And depending on where you go put the video, I could change that around. And then with the Descript app that I use, I could pull clips out of that easily. It's just a nice, smooth process. Okay. It works well. But what, going back to the Harry Potter thing or the Hogwarts thing, I love the fact that somebody in the industry that's done this because that's what my whole push and talk is. People look at me like I'm crazy. What do you mean my kid could make a living writing stories for video games? That's ridiculous. But if you think back, go back 100 to 120 years ago, people said the same thing about script writers going to Hollywood to write movie scripts, but nobody would blink an eye anymore about that. It's because we're so early in this part of the video game thing and it is happening. Yeah. And if you look, video games are a bigger industry than our football industry. And how many people just spent a whole day on Sunday with pay-per-view, with sub sandwiches, with pizza, they bet that how much time and money was spent for the Super Bowl on Sunday when we're getting even more without people realizing it for video games. Case in point, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, high school kids in Ohio can now join an esports league and get a varsity letter and a varsity jacket. And you yeah. mentioned that a couple episodes ago, and that really is that's it, right there. Yeah. I and mean, it's integrated and, and, into and people yeah. still think I'm crazy <laughs> when I say this stuff. But think about it. How many hours do people spend with their... It was still recording, so I just kind of kept going. But how many hours do people spend taking their kids to Little League baseball practice or JV football practice? How many hours do these kids spend practicing football and baseball every week, every year? And then they get to high school and they're on the team. They get a varsity letter. But then how many of them actually get scholarships and move on to uh, college? How many of them play in college? How many of them have a career? That number keeps going down. And I am not saying that right. the esports is really going to be that much different. Because obviously, if there's competition, the cream of the crop is going to rise. And those are the ones getting the... But That's right. The 1% will still be the ones yes. that are drafted and make it out yeah. of the teams. And but stuff like that. Yeah. this opens yeah. it up to more kids <laughs> than would have ever been possible with baseball football golf is exceptional. that's really true because then there's just yeah. like the genetic lottery yes. doesn't always make you i am strong i am swift you know what i mean it it's i it really is cool to see i guess there's still there's a certain amount of do you have quick twitch muscle do you have thumbs of steel do you have great eyesight that you really track i know i played with someone multiple people that i really knew i had just some kind of physical edge because I pay attention differently. I focus differently. I was always ahead of them in terms of if you have something pops up on the screen, I'm going to be the one that shoots it or grabs it or shoots them first. And I've had that happen to me where it's, man, no matter how much I'm trying to understand this game and look for the little hints as to what's going to happen next, someone's always ahead of me. And so there's, there really are still some there's brain capacity, there's yeah. muscle factor that really will make it that it's all focused perhaps into how dexterous you are on your controller right. and stuff like that. It's just a different set of skills instead of 
you put on your cleats and your helmet and you have to have your body does that it can really fake somebody out that it can do a movement and then recover from that it'll be like that for video i think it's cool and more and more people i'm probably going to name drop hey on my geekery podcast my partner alan his (laughs) nephew helped make the hogwarts game so i personally know people not personally know but one step removed a little closer than kevin bacon yeah yeah and again i don't know i'm such a and you too we're not only geeks about the Potterverse. Like I said, some people really seem to just immerse themselves in it, and that's the only thing they do. I've had such great luck all my life with, well, I like comic books and science fiction and the and all kinds of things. And when you just dip your toe into that a little bit out of the public, when I was first going to Gen Con, and nowadays Gen Con is like 100,000 people at a convention center in Indianapolis. But before that, it was in Milwaukee, a little bit smaller. And before that, it was just guys getting together at the Whitewater campus of University of Wisconsin. And so I can go back where it's, I'm talking to Gary Gygax, like the guy that did it, the guy that created it. And the Wordna, Andrew, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Any number, like the people who created Ultima, the people who created, besides Dungeons and Dragons, there was also Lord British, exactly, thank you. Tunnels and Trolls and the Empire of the Petal Throne. And like, someone had to do all those things and as you might imagine they're not like necessarily in the hallway you can tell when it's lebron james because he's a superhuman giant whereas people that do this kind of stuff they could be walking down the hallway unless you just happen to have seen something in dragon right. magazine right. or something like that. it was a picture of you're the guy you're the guy that this amazing cool thing burst out of your head and now millions of people play it that's a wonderful yeah. legacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be able to say that I really did write the book, do the game, et cetera, et cetera, that, that has brought so much pleasure to right. so many people. So I'm looking forward. There's, it's now becoming like, I haven't heard yet from Fan Expo here in Cleveland as to whether we're speaking okay. or, or podcasting, but someone just asked me if I'm going to go to C2E2, which is coming up in Chicago. And it was, it, I don't know that I want to be away and doing that for two weekends in a row. And yet, if that's when it is, if it really is that if I don't do those two, then it's a whole nother year before I get a wizard world or whatever the current, uh, there's been consolidation in the industry and be like, yeah, I will. There, it's right. funny doing it here. It's a matter of, I don't know, drive downtown and enjoy the show. In Chicago, it's okay. You're going to be at McCormick Place. There's the hotels nearby are jacked up in price because, and I, what, how am I going to spend my time and all that kind of stuff? And yet it's an immersive thing. And so I was kind of saying, depending on who's there, will determine whether right. I go or not. And so maybe it really will be that well, it's, um, who would I go to see? Who haven't I met that I really would love to meet that just doesn't emerge? John Byrne oh, or something yeah. like that. So, Colin will um, be at C2E2. I know he, he knows who's going to be there and he knows what okay. he needs to get signed. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> so, so let's see. So that's coming up. Pinball segue real quick i just talked with a friend about the best pinball games of all time if i was going to get one i've been i've been exposed to probably hundreds of games by going to replay fx multiple years and so i was like i really like scared stiff the elvira game i really like theater of magic i really like twilight zone and as i just kind of off the top of my head remembered there was one like where you're whitewater rafting and then i look i go to the website that has micro reviews of everything about various different games i think it's called like ipdb or something like that 
international pinball database maybe and they had here's the top 10 list and honestly the games that i had named were like five of the top 10. it was hilarious like i guess i am a pretty good distinguisher between what makes for a good pinball game especially if you're going to buy one it has to have replayability it can't be that like in a month you played it enough and now it's a pushover or it's i'll never get to that next level so now i'm disenchanted with it and stuff like that so i if ever i really get the space and the gumption to set up a pinball game at home and a friend mike cox had actually done that and so well so which ones did you have and what did you get next and why did you let it go and replayability was a big nice. thing of that. and reason for saying that is that whole there are similarities in that field to other things we've talked about there really are giants of pinball game design company-wide and people-wide and a couple times when i went to one here in cleveland and then at replay fx they actually had those guys being interviewed and that's a real uncommon curtain being pulled aside like you never see the guy's face advertised with the product it's always because pinball games are meant to be wow zim zam zoom lots of lights and the big splash the back right. panel and stuff like that and they don't have his little face over here on the side saying designed right. by bill johnson or something like that so it was just very cool to hear his stories and maybe going back to what i talked about earlier he was that guy that said i really want to do this for a living how do i do i go camp out on stern or midway or bally's doorstep and say please let me i'll take out the trash just let me be right. in this place and then they designed and worked their way up and became a giant a legend and the transitions that they've been through from electromechanical to solid state and stuff like that there were some people that really were good and embraced it and others were like i guess my time is done i know everything there is about how to do it with wires i don't know and i don't want to know computers and so there was a changing of the guard there, and i don't know there, i'm sure there's great pinball history books that tell much more detail and drop all the names and stuff like that but i really love that kind of stuff when something that i've enjoyed for a long time you get a chance to say if i ever meet alex johnson then i'll be able to say thank you so much because boy did you take quarters out of my pocket back when right. i was in school and well, in champagne or back. Yeah, so, yeah. got that 50th anniversary atari set and they have a lot yeah. of history yeah. videos and stuff in there and they were talking about the first not pong maybe it was the space war game they made the tabletop version and they had a bar. They took it to the try it out. And yeah, I think it was Pong. It was tabletop Pong for the bar. And they, the bar called the next day and they put it in on like a Friday night and they called the next day to say, come get this piece of crap out of here. It's not working. It hasn't even been here a day. So one of the engineer guys who I can't remember his name off the top of my head, the name from Atari games said, okay, I'll go out there and check it out. So he went out to check it out to see what was wrong. What was wrong with the machine? There were so many quarters stuffed into it. It had stopped accepting new quarters in a day. Accepting yeah. quarters. So that's when, wow. was okay. it Nolan Bushnell? <laughs> he goes, yeah, let's make more of these. <laughs> Nolan Bushnell. See, yeah. Yeah. when you talked at last or two episodes about A-B testing, there must have been that. There's a certain leap of faith from any inventor, any innovator that says, I really like doing this. I can't be the only one that likes doing this. Let's just put it out there and see how it goes. And then when they find out that, wow, too many quarters that it jammed the machine, the photo booth ran right. out of film or whatever else it might be, it, there must just be that wonderful Monday morning after that first thing where it's like, man, we have light right. in the bottle here. If we do this right, and some things are 
bad E. You know what I mean? That you have to strike while the iron is hot and then they'll fade with time. But certain things, I think people still play Tetris. I got really good at Tetris. And after a while, it was like, okay, I put enough time into this. I'm not getting any better and I'm not getting anything out of it except, hey, I'm really good at packing trucks. I will say, when I packed the truck for my trip, it really is yes. handy to be really good at looking at disparate piece sizes and going, okay, and it all fits like nobody it's, else it, could do it. Maybe 1% of the population works our minds and, and, and like You probably go, okay, I can't stuff. do this unless I'm under pressure, so time me, go. <laughs> exactly. Make sure the music keeps on getting. Uh, another thing, you just went on a huge cross-country trip to bring back a big comic book collection. and. I saw little bits of it where you got, there was some traffic jams and things like that. And I was thinking about that. People all the time complain, oh, computers, they're ruining the world. And you don't know what you're talking about. They're not. But the whole GPS thing is humorous in many ways because my kids' generation, they have no idea how to take directions and follow directions to get somewhere. They have no clue. And if they go somewhere out of GPS range, They'll just stop the car and sit there. They have no idea wh- what to do to get anywhere. You tell them a road name, yeah, they don't know. Where's that at? They, no clue. What do you mean you go north? What do you? How's that not go north? They don't get that. So used to it now. Right. I'm the same way. But I the other day I was going somewhere, a route I've taken before, but I was like, okay, just put it on the GPS. It's some jig jogging through areas I don't know so well, and it said rerouting you. To because of road closures. Now that is something that if you get directions and you don't know the area and somebody says, well, go here and you're like, the road's closed. I can't go there. Then you're, what do I do? Right. Now, How far out of my way do I have to do? Hopefully they've marked a detour, but otherwise I'm hoping that well, I'll hit the river and I can't go right. into the river. So then I'll turn left there and hope that I catch right. the main road again. And, and the GPS like has definitely that. gotten better. 20 years ago, I always printed it out just in case the GPS wasn't right. And I remember the directions the one time the GPS lady goes, turn right and go off road. Turn right and go off road. What are you talking about? How's that giving me directions? (laughs) Just start driving across the field until you get to the fence. So did you, did it, I know you got stuck in some traffic. Did you get rerouted at some point? So it turned out that I was going to, like when, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff going on here. So first of all, even to plan the trip, I was going to go like 2,400 miles in four days. So 600 miles a day is a lot of driving. But I was able to then like do, you know, using mapping software, say, okay, about how far is 600 miles? What's a reasonably sized city where there's going to be enough hotels that there's competition? So I'll be able to find a place to stay that's safe, but also not super priced. And I really was able to find Holbrook, Arizona, Sayre, Oklahoma, Collinsville, Illinois, not staying in St. Louis, not staying in Albuquerque, whatever else it might be. And it and so that was first a really cool use of GPS to just be able to plot the route out and say, it wasn't exactly 600, but I can do 580 or 620. It wasn't keep going until I'm exhausted and then look for a hotel because there used to be people that would take road trips like that. They just, I'm heading West. And when I can't go any further, when the sun is down or whatever. So that gave me lots of reassurance. I always like knowing that I have a destination. And when I get there, as long as they don't give my room up, extended stay America did damn (laughs) you forever. And I'll never use you again. 
I knew that. And then once you know where you're staying, you can like just put up, let's look nearby. Is there a pizza place nearby? Is there a good breakfast place nearby? Is there an Asian buffet nearby? And I was able to have little things to anticipate because right. of that. While you're driving, it really is, it's very cool to be able to see, okay, I start off with 620 miles. And it, it counts down miles-wise and time-wise how much you have to go. And so it's heartening to be able to see progress. Used to be that you'd pull out the map and you'd be able to say, okay, I had to go this far and I'm here and I'm here and I'm here. And that was a visual way of knowing that. But all that really helped. And especially then when it helped was I was in East New Mexico when I'm driving along and it's sky blue. And then all of a sudden it's getting cloudy. And then I see the lines of rain coming down and then I'm into it and it's not rain. It's like wintry mix terrible where your windshield wipers are struggling to keep up. It really was bad quickly. And I'm on the interstates. And so it's not only cars, there's lots of trucks and everything slows down like to a stop. So you know that it's not only that it's bad driving is that there's been an accident, some kind of disaster. And it took three hours to get past that. At one point, another thing that's cool about GPSs nowadays is they are not only, I looked at it in the morning and now I have where I'm going in the evening, in real time during the day, it'll tell you what's going on. It'll tell you about, there's a speed trap coming up, that there's an accident coming up, that kind of thing. Indeed, I was using Apple Maps because my very cool car had CarPlay and my phone could go right into that. And so instead of only having the little phone screen to look at, I had the big screen in the car and CarPlay is very well designed to give you a lot of information without having to keep glancing over or touch a lot of things. It's meant right. to keep your hands on the wheel. So it actually did say route I-40 is closed and we're going to route you on a, there's 10 miles up. There's going to be a detour on three heading south that'll take you south and then east on smaller roads in New Mexico and then up to Tucumcari so you can, wow. Does anybody know where Tucumcari is? Only if you heard the song Willin by Little Feet. <laughs> so, yes, I've been from Tehachapi to Tonopah <laughs> that day. <laughs> While I was, it, a lot of not moving at all or then crawling forward and stopping again. While all that was going on, it they cleared the road. Whatever happened on my side of the road, and as I was going along, I was seeing trucks really are jackknifed. They're in the ditches. They're in the median. There's whatever accident there was, they had cleared it on my side. And then in anticipation of all of this traffic that's backed up behind, they had actually really well plowed the roads so that at least two lanes were mostly cleared. And then because I have all my truck buddies in front of me, I just followed trucks until I got, and once I went going, my other problem was I had not, I had like 82, 92 miles of gas when this all started and it's winter. Oops, it wants me to reload the site. That? I'm going to cancel out of okay. that. Never mind. I no, but it was Chrome instead of Zoom because you are Zencaster because you're using that. Weird. So as I'm sitting there in my car inching forward, I'm watching that go down. It tells you, it tells you, you know, there's a little range thing. And now I'm 80 and I'm 50. I'm like, okay, I, when I stopped, I right. turned the car off and I put on my hat and gloves so that I'm letting the car get cold. As long as it can restart, I'm going to be okay. But I got to where it's like, okay, I got this turn off at 10 miles and then it's taking me south, but onto like, how small are these roads? Is there right. going to be a gas station along here? Luckily, uh, I, the car has 500 plus range miles. I got gas when I had 17 left. There was a gas station on, 
right off of 40 and it wasn't even at an exit it was just they have oh, you know, right. these little and it was like the wahachi hitchin post and gas that kind of thing and i was not the only guy that had this great idea so it was quite busy and a little bit of waiting and getting gas there but of course not only gas i went to the bathroom and i was enough time in that i had to use a trucker's friend in the car and so that was it i haven't done this since like college road trips where it was just like we're driving 18 hours we're not stopping it just there was all kinds of it wasn't unpleasant but it sure was wow a whole bunch of things can go wrong come on gps come on gas hold out you know what i mean luckily then once i gassed up and once i and actually funny how you just all that could have gone wrong didn't and so you're just like yeah (laughs) and it's the watch i don't think that's the real name here's the thing it's like i go to the lady at the counter i go do you have any christmas ornaments and she goes yeah we have a couple right over here and i found a nice christmas ornament for colleen and i for this coming year to commemorate i think i've talked about when we decorate our tree we often have all these wonderful memories of places that we've been this will be a memory of oh yeah this is where i was dripping with fear sweat and having to pee into a cup remember how much fun that was for me remember that but now i got it and it was a, the ornament has really cute hot peppers a whole array of different colored hot peppers hey, from new mexico hey. <laughs> so that's my souvenir from this and then i got on the road and drove and drove because i wanted to get out of the weather ahead of the weather and head further east and slightly north and i didn't even make it to say oklahoma but while i was having nothing to do i had been like regularly beep boop on my phone hey here's what i'm seeing here's a couple pictures it's really and then i drove for like three hours and my brothers cursed me out and people online were like are you okay because we you dropped off after getting a play-by-play for like hours now we got nothing are you like in the ditch did you go off the cliff what happened and so i had to do all the apologies of no once the opportunity arose i just drove my pants off until i got good <laughs> so but having said that it without the gps of it giving me real time like where how far ahead the gas is and where you might have to take a detour and i really was not only pleased by it i was counting on if i take that detour and i put in not only on the maps but gas buddy or something like that it'll say yes gas is in 17 miles okay i got 27 miles of range left don't lie to me machine and say that i really don't have that because i will make it if this is (laughs) so uh, in every other way colleen and i we started to do our driving vacations we used to really i got all the maps from AAA and keep them out she was the navigatrix and i'd be driving and we'd follow our progress up to dakota or over to denver or down to new orleans or whatever else it might be and we would use the gps kind of for the last couple miles now that we're off the expressway and we want to be able to get to our hotel it's not always obvious it's a little bit tricky but most of the time if you're traveling on interstates especially it you really can't take a detour because there's not another good way to go hopping off 40 to go up to 70 would have been hours crazy hours out of my way and it's nice to have the combination of those things to, to have the experience with the one and the skill with the other and gps is especially and I, again, sorry, I'm going on and on. The other thing I wonderfully discovered was once I had CarPlay and once I discovered that the car had Sirius XM, I've never had satellite radio before. Sirius XM has eight. Um, <laughs> and man, I love, I, I love driving. I love doing the sightseeing, but there's a lot of nothing. There's a lot of desolation in Arizona, New Mexico. So you could get highway hypnosis or just whatever. 
get bored. And with constant comedy from dozens of my favorites, all kinds of people I'd never heard of, as well as all my favorites, I just, the hour, okay, here's how many hours, another two hours have gone by. Time for a tink and a drink. I don't try to push through. I regularly get off every two hours to make sure that I get a right. little blood flow, don't get, don't invite hip lockup or lymphedema right, right. or anything like that. You just relieve yourself, and that way you know that I got gas, I got um, liquids <laughs> out of me. I'm not going to get in trouble right. on the road unless I hit a snowfall right. for three hours. That was my oh, you, you mentioned AAA <laughs> and the triptych and all that. Believe it or not, the yeah. first long distance trip I took that I didn't go to AAA and get a trip tick. I just used the GPS. I was like nervous. I felt uncomfortable. Wow, I'm just depending on the GPS. What if it's wrong? And it's like, it seems crazy now. I was just so used to, oh, yeah. we're going on a trip. Go get a trip tick. Follow the trip tick. And they, wonderful devices that AAA still does. But people would exactly. say, what do you mean you were worried about the GPS? You used a paper thing. <laughs> that, that's how you come from. No. Absolutely. If you were an early adopter, there were any number of times I remember going to the mind games in St. Louis and it putting me on a loop near the airport. My hotel was near the airport instead of at the thing because I was trying to save money. And okay, it there's my hotel. And I passed it once not knowing that's where my hotel was. And it just routes me back. So there really were artifacts and mistakes yeah. in early GPSs that they weren't anywhere near perfect, especially maybe airports, maybe malls, maybe places where it's not just the roads, but all those just off the road, but there's, it's not it's private property instead of public where they hadn't fully satellited everything by then. I'm very happy now that they really seem to be dependable. But having said that, once in a while, Colleen has been in the mountains of Pennsylvania where she has high on Pennsylvania clients and she will get where, so why did it get me off the expressway and take me through all these terrible mountain roads when I can see with the client that the next exit from the expressway is like a half a mile that way, but I would have had to go to it and come back. And there were times when the algorithms were never retread, always minimize the distance. And I guess there were some times where you could set the parameters, the preferences that you had, but there were other times that if you didn't know, if you said, hey, no tolls, it's gonna take you like an Okefenokee swamp to avoid the yeah. toll, you know what I mean? So we've had, various different things, even here in Lakewood once in a while, it'll be, it thinks it knows more about traffic than I do, but I'm pretty sure that I got a feel for what's traffic like at nine or 11 or one or three. And when it tries to guide me into more obscure things, like I don't want to go on the cobblestone street. I'm pretty sure if I stay on the regular street, you're not going to gain me. Is it worth taking a minute out of my way in order to be like, wow, this is just not as fun driving. Right. There's two more, there's more people coming on and off the road right in front of me, not not expecting traffic. And here right. I am traffic. And we like to argue so, with her. The miraculous And device. we like to argue when we don't want to follow her because it's like, no, I'm not turning here and then down that street. I get to the same spot going here. I know I do. And she'll say, at the next thing, turn right. No, and we argue. And it's like, oh, we're going to piss her off. She's going right. to direct us. We're going to end up somewhere clear over there. We have, as you might imagine, because we use Garmin, We've named our devices. So one is Garmin Electra <laughs> and one is Garmin Miranda. And once in a while, when they're giving us what we think are incorrect directions, it was like, yeah, we don't have a Miranda in our lives. So there's nobody behind right. that. But so I like changing oh, wow. the voices. You can do that with Google. And I put like the Australian British voice on there. <laughs> exactly. John Cleese actually had a set once when not Garmin, Tom, yeah. Tom maybe, that they made a John Cleese voice available. 
And I was like, man, I could do that, but could I do that all the time? You know what I mean? Do I want to be snarked at all the time? And actually, I'm going to do a quick thing here. Ah, I have a trivia question for you today. Ooh. This author was also one of the founders of the Society for Creative Anachronism, the group that does the recreation of the Middle Ages and has the joust. And a friend of mine just talked about how she's saving up to go to the Pensic Wars this year. And in college, I went to the Pensic Wars and got muddy and drank mead and all that kind of stuff. And it's any idea? Eric Idle? (laughs) That would be good for the singing. Exactly. This author wrote The Mists of Avalon. Oh, I know the book. And I'm being canny because, of course, this author rests, and nobody right, uses right. that term really. She right. wrote The Mists of Avalon, which is a really cool book about the tale right. of Camelot from the perspective of Guinevere and Morgan. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's Mary yes. Zimmer Brett. Uh, very famous okay. sci-fi writer. Oh, exactly. Like she's I've got the Grandmaster Sci-Fi yeah. and Fantasy Award and stuff like that, but she was actually like, they're at the creation right. once at Orego for the Society for Creative Anachronism. I knew it had to start somewhere, but I and I knew early people when I was in in seventy seven had only been around for maybe three five years or something like that. So I knew Moonwolf. I knew early kings and queens of the Middle Kingdom and, and that kind of stuff. But she was really wow. one of the ones that was like, we should have festivals and and you know, like we should have vintners and and brewers, cymergists. Um, If you look at the (laughs) script writing credits for The Empire Strikes Back, it's another female sci-fi writer, Lee Brackett. Lee Brackett. I love her My mother was at nursing school with somebody who went to school with Lee Brackett, two steps removed. And I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Again, movie titles, screen credits, and so forth are much like the album flipping over that we just talked about about the same guy that worked like Lawrence Kasdan worked on I think one of the Star Wars movies I think Silverado there's very different people that actually or like if he didn't write it he was the script doctor that was called right. in to tighten yeah. it up and you can tell people's work because they have a certain sense of humor or a certain way of dealing with scenes and so it's like Larry Gelbart who wrote MASH also worked on all kinds of other stuff and there's a little underground river there of no wonder I liked that because it was Gelbart-esque without right, knowing right. it at the time. There was still perfect Paul Simon turn of phrase or whatever else. It might right. Yeah, and Kasdan right. was involved with Empire too. All right. There you go. Exactly. That, that's, that must have been what, in my mind, spurred me to think of it yeah. is because I knew that there were, it wasn't only George Lucas, there were other people brought in yeah. to, to do it, to work on he, it. So. He should have done that a little more at the prequels, right. but yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, once in a while it's the guy that was doing it was really good, but now they think that maybe they shouldn't have him do all of them, so they want new blood. But, wow, did you not compare between the works of the new guy and the old guy? Because the older guy would have still done yeah. better. Please don't put people out the pasture when they still got great so, works in them. Real quick, so. before we go, <laughs> did you see any of the new trailers for Guardians of the Galaxy or Flash? Yes, it's kind of funny. It is so us to say, oh, yeah, there was a Super Bowl, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a big thing. So I really... Guardians of the Galaxy looks really great. The one that I was the most intrigued by was yeah. The Flash. Because Marvel has been making a big thing about the multiverse, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I really go back to when the 
Justice League first had, so first, Flash of Two Worlds was the first one to talk about how there really might be both modern heroes and going back to the Silver Age and the Golden Age, the yep. versions of those heroes, and that they're just separated by a vibratory plane. They're in a different dimension or whatever else it might be. And then every year in Justice League, they used to have a, a two-parter that was the Justice League meeting the Justice yeah. Society or the Justice League meeting the Crime Syndicate, which were the evil versions of the Justice League. And then it was like, okay, here's Earth-1 and Earth-2. That's Earth-A. And now it's now it's Earth-Captain right. Parrot or whatever else it might be. But the fact that DC really hasn't, DC hasn't done what Marvel has done in terms of making everything integrated, but that thing of the latest Flash movie and that his involvement in, and in the comic books, it's Flashpoint, Endpoint, I'm trying to think of how they did the Flashiverse, right. if you will, that is how all those kinds of things changed and that he became responsible for drastic change, like destructive change and so forth. That's pretty much what's going to be seemingly part yeah. of the next Flash movie. And so when they had somebody come up and say, I'm Batman, and it wasn't Christian or, or Bale, it was Michael yeah. Keaton. It wasn't yeah. Ben Affleck. It wasn't Val right. Kilmer. All the way back to Keaton. How cool that was, was that? Cool. And I'm Supergirl just set up Superman <laughs> because it followed the Flashpoint exactly. pretty well there. So I was like, wow, this right. looks really good. Yeah. I think a lot of what's going to be happening, I know that James Gunn is now the guy that's doing like the yeah. DC universe, maybe multiverse, let's call it. And he really, I really like when you find someone has such a sensibility that should matter. So I've, I've worshipped before at the feet of John Favreau when you watch the Mandalorian in comparison to and other things he's been involved in the Star Wars universe Kathleen Kennedy has been instrumental in getting these movies made but she's not the gal that has the deep understanding and the love and they just they're so wooden in comparison to Favreau's work where it really is wow this is just it has the feel it has the right thing and I think it might be Jamie Gunn having defected from the Marvel Universe to come to the yeah. DC universe. Well, I hope he works the same magic. That if he's been an overall comic fan, I've never been only Marvel or DC. I've yeah. liked everything. And when I read that one of the new movies is going to be The Authority, which I can't recommend that comic book highly enough, Warren Ellis, one of my heroes, that just yes. everything he's worked on, kind of like Alan Moore, he had a different take on what had gone before. Didn't throw it out, didn't start over, but definitely had that. He gets what makes comic right. books great. He gets the pageantry and the micro interactions between the various different people that there really is love and there really are rivalries and there really is evil and that kind of stuff and if they do the authority right the world is going to lose its well, over how cool i, I that really hope that james gunn <laughs> turns things around because honestly for the past 10 to 14 years dc has been completely floundering and trying to figure out what they're doing so I, I'm really hoping that James Gunn. Yeah. They have some good movies, but it's nowhere near yeah. the body of work. Yeah. So right? I hope things you know, turn around really, because I'd like to see some better movies, but they really haven't been impressing me with overall everything. Now, individually, I like most of the movies, but it's not the world. I hear you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I don't know why this is. I saw Fast and Furious yeah. X. There's 10 in the franchise. And the latest one was going to be Vin Diesel and Jason Momoa and Jason Statham. And like, they really got great action heroes, villains, tension, the ridiculous stunts of the plane drops the car. 
on the Key West Bridge or whatever's going on there. It just, I just, I want to see what they're going to do, even though I know that they're ridiculous. They're foolish. They're stupid. And yet, I watched all the John Wicks. I've watched, I've, there's all kinds of things that are just like, for what it is, it's perfect. It's just that what it is is pulp. It's meant to be disposable. Ridiculous. Well, Fast and the Furious 10, (laughs) uh, it's like, they, every movie, they added one or two new characters, but they don't get rid of anybody. They just keep them all in. So it's just, uh, except for The Rock, he was done. So he's not in it. But everybody else, oh, that's right. You were in one movie and you raced. Yeah, we'll bring you back, which is great. But over the top, ridiculous popcorn entertainment. Don't try and read anything yeah. more into it. <laughs> and it really is funny. I really do. What I want to see in the big theater is often the things that have the big right. screen and the big sound and stuff. And that really might be one of those movies. If I'm going to watch that movie, I want to be overwhelmed yes, by the noise of the this tortured scream yeah. of metal when things crash. I love that <laughs> franchise and all those movies and the series. I have fun with them. I've watched them. Okay. But I'll be honest, <laughs> in number nine, when they put a rocket booster onto a car, a Toyota, <laughs> and they shot it into space, and they were giving it <laughs> gas and using the steering wheel to fly around in space, I was like, okay, this is just the most ridiculous <laughs> I've seen. The internet was happy to meme oh that to God, death that was over like, how ridiculous Who, who thought that of that? Was. I could get in behind all the ridiculous car jumps and crap. But the car in space, you give it gas and you use the steering wheel? No! That's just... <laughs> right. Ugh. I hear you. All right. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I actually, on the last note, was it, wasn't it like, not the, it wasn't the losers. It was the A-team. Isn't that where they dropped a tank out of a plane? And it's, I just have to see it. I have to see what it's like to be in a tank and somehow right. survive falling 10,000 feet and not turning into a puddle <laughs> at the bottom of the tank. Because yeah, physics. <laughs> you drop it in the ocean oh, well. and then you just drive out. That would work. That'd be better because it's right, Exactly. Making an amp yeah. tank. Exactly. Good. Yeah, for all the weight of a tank. It's got little flippers that can. All right, I think we yeah, covered some of the things we said we, we were going to talk about. The books. We'll hit those next week. Okay, exactly. Next next week, it's, yeah, Orphan X and, yeah, yes. And Joe Aber- Giant Man Abercrombie. Oh. Man, if you're not reading any of his works, if you haven't read the First Law Trilogy and now this is the Angel of Madness and things that are set in that world, yeah. we'll talk about it next it- time. To tie it into Harry Potter and... One of the J.K. Rowling's wonderful things is she's great at naming yeah. things, naming characters, naming butterbeer, naming whatever else it might be. Simon Green is another one that I just love how they bring things to life because the names are so evocative and memorable. And Abercrombie is great about that, too. The heroes, the villains, the mouthfeel of a villain like Gorse. You know what I mean? It just is. It's, they're great. And they're don't great. forget, <laughs> Ant-Man oh. comes out this weekend. Oh man, I actually had not. I've seen so many ads leading up to it that I had lost track of which weekend it is. So I better be there Thursday night. You know what I mean? If that's one of those things that seven o'clock it's available, I'm going to get tickets yeah, now. Yeah. I got to go. We're probably going to wow. go Sunday because that's when it works out for a bunch of us. So here we go. Marvel's next big bad, Kang, oh, yeah. man. Kang is yeah. in this one, Kang the Conqueror. So and Loki we'll 2 is coming out. Right. So I hope that all ties together. See, it's. <laughs> all right. I have. Have, have a good one, man. To talk about. There's so much good stuff coming out, Steve.
<laughs> All right. Take care. Take care. Uh, Have fun. Yeah. Happy, happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Call right. I said hi. <laughs> okay. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.